Well, good morning. Merry Christmas to you. It really is a joy to be with you this morning. And uh, I want to take an opportunity to do something. I don't get the opportunity to do it a lot. We're going to do it kind of in this family setting. But as Josh and Jordan make their way off, uh, this guy behind me has worked very hard the last few weeks to prepare for last night and uh, does an incredible job serving as our worship pastor. You guys know two years ago God called him to that role, and we've seen him grow as a young man and a leader and a father and a disciple of Jesus. And I just want to say a public thank you to Josh and Jordan and I'd like for you to show your appreciation to this tremendous couple. Thank you both. And I also just want to say this, kind of take the time, the end of the year, you kind of look back and you uh, look over the year and count your blessings and think through the things you're incredibly grateful for. I am... uh, incredibly grateful to serve at this church and the role that God has given me. It was uh, six years ago that we pulled in uh, from Las Vegas in the van, not really knowing what all we were getting into, and it's been a great six years. And I want to say publicly, uh, one of the great blessings that I get to be a part of is I serve with a great staff team here, and they serve behind the scenes, and they serve faithfully, and they serve you. They love you as a church, and they love your families, and they work very hard some some, some of the things they do are public, and you know about them, and some of the things they do are very much behind the scenes. And I'd like for you as a church just to say thank you to the staff members that are here and their families this morning, and thank you to them. Amen. Well, I said it earlier, and I, I really can't stress it enough, I'm glad to see you here this morning. Uh, when you look on the calendar and you see that Sunday falls on Christmas Day, and you know you had a, just a great service like we had last night. You're not sure if anybody's going to show up on Christmas Day. You think it might be me and my family. I'm not sure, which we take up a whole row. But anyway, um, it's a joy to be here with you. Thank you for coming and worshiping with your church family uh, on this special Sunday. We only get to do this every few years or so, gather on Christmas Day as a church family. So it's really sweet to be here this morning. Uh, It's going to feel more like a Bible study this morning, so I want you to take your Bibles, but I want you to keep them out. We're going to be flipping around a little bit. I'm not going to take a long, long time. I want to chase a particular theme that we see in Christmas this morning, and particularly uh, just something that always wows me personally and blows me away in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So why don't you take your Bible? We're going to start in Matthew chapter 1, and again, we're going to be moving around a little bit. Uh, read quite a bit of scripture together and then make, I think, some very helpful and challenging application together at the end. Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 18 is where we're going to be. Now before we jump in, let me just take an opportunity heading into the new year. This is the last time we'll be together as a church until the new year. Next Sunday, January 1st, kicks off a brand new season, a brand new year for us as a church And if you haven't picked up your 31-day prayer journey guide, I encourage you to do that as you leave this morning. Uh, This is also online, but we as a church, I'm incredibly excited about the month of January, really excited about the months that follow and some of the things the Lord has laid in front of us. Uh, But we're going to set aside the first month, if you will, kind of as the first fruits to say, Lord, everything's yours, the whole year is yours, everything we have is yours. We're going to set aside the first 31 days and fervently pray as a church. Pray corporately, pray as groups, pray as families, and we provided a little 31-day guide for you. This begins January 1st, 
Uh, it's a tool for you to use in your devotion time with the Lord. And it's really neat to think about our church families praying the same thing on the same day for 31 days. And our messages will be devoted to prayer. We'll have some special times of corporate prayer together. Pick one of these up on your way out. And we'll start this on January 1st, which is next uh, Sunday. Okay? All right. Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18. This is... Matthew's version of the Christmas story. I'm going to read a few verses, uh, pull out one particular thing that I want us to notice, and then we're going to jump around and cross-reference just a little bit and then come to something very challenging, I think, for us this morning on Christmas Day. All right? So you can follow along with me, Matthew 1. If you don't have your Bibles, you can uh, use one in the seat pockets. The verses are not going to be on the screen. I'm going to tell you, you just follow along. We're actually going to have to read on paper, on print, all right? So Matthew 1, beginning verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Joseph found himself in a pickle. Uh, The woman that he was going to marry was pregnant. That looks a little awkward. The explanation was even more awkward. It was by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know what to do here. The Bible says, But when he considered what to do, verse 20, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child that has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit of God, supernatural of God. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord Through the prophet, behold, the virgin will be with child. She shall bear a son, end of verse 23. Focus here on this, it says, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want us to say that together this morning. The name Emmanuel, you hear it, you see it on cards. This is an incredible reality that I want us to chase for just a few minutes this morning. The name Emmanuel means, you ready to say it together, God with us. Now there's some things about the Christmas story that I think we can read and we can hear so often that we become become very familiar and can almost even with contempt approach them that the Bible is saying here something that has never happened in all of history, will never happen again. It is supernatural that the eternal, everlasting, unending, limitless God has taken on flesh and become a man and has come to dwell with us. God with us. My hope this morning as we walk through the scriptures a little bit and we look at some other passages that you're reminded that when you read that, your heart ought to skip a beat a little bit of the reality. Again, creator God, supernatural God, almighty God, limitless God became a man like you and me. God with us. Amazing reality. 
Now, for us to be reminded of what an incredible reality this is, I want you to hold your place here in Matthew 1, and I want you to go ahead four books to the book of John. John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read a few verses here. Again, a familiar passage to you, but I want to remind you that when you read about God with us, all that is wrapped up in the reality that God, God became a man and took on all the limitations of humanity, all the challenges of humanity without sin, no sin, but yet all the weaknesses, all the limitations that are involved in becoming a man. Who was this Christ child? Verse 1, John 1, says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Supernatural reality there, the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, speaking of the Word, God's, God's manifestation of Himself. God makes Himself knowable. The Word, the revelation of God that has existed forever is a person. He was in the beginning with God. Listen to this. All things came into being through Him. I know you know this. This is a reminder for you. Everything you will touch, see, feel, hear, taste. Parents, if you're using the family discipleship plan, especially this week, has a great family devotion that you can use with your children for Christmas. There's a reminder there that everything you see, feel, touch, taste, and hear was created by God Almighty. All things were created by Him. All things through Him and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life. The very source of life itself. The breath. Watch this. The breath that you're going to take. It's from the very presence of God. God Himself, the source of life. This life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 14. And this Word that has existed Forever and ever and ever and ever, this word that is a person, the second person of the Trinity, the word became flesh, took on flesh, and dwelt among us, John 1.14. The word dwelt is the word tabernacled. It's the same word picture throughout the Old Testament when God gave a physical structure to the children of Israel to manifest His presence, to symbolize His presence, was called the tabernacle. Now here, John uses that same word and says, The Word became flesh and His tabernacle put up His tent with us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So from John's account, I just want you to be reminded of the incredible reality of who we're talking about. The eternal God, limitless, no beginning, no end, no limits, steps into the limitation of time and space. God with us. God with us. Now, take your Bible, flip ahead a little bit more, and go to Colossians chapter 1. We looked at this a few months earlier as we walked through Colossians as a church family, but as a reminder, I want to read this to you again. Colossians chapter 1. Paul here is writing. He's writing about the the beauty and the glories of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 1. He says, beginning in verse 15. Speaking of Christ, He, 
is the image, the likeness of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn does not mean he was born. It means the rank that he owns of all of creation is the preeminent one. No one is higher. No one is greater in all of creation than Jesus. Firstborn, his rank. For by him all things were created in the heavens I don't know if you've even pondered that recently, that the heavens, scientists, we know if you study that or follow that at all, that the heavens seem to have no end. They just go on and on and on and on and on and on. And the number of the galaxies and the number of the stars and the number of all is limitless, limitless with a word spoken into existence. Both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, All that we see He created, all that we can't see that exists in the spiritual realm He created. Both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, or the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him, and watch this, end of verse 16, for Him. (laughs) Great reminder on Christmas, we exist for Him. We exist for Him. We're created by Him and for His pleasure, for His glory. We exist for Him. Keep on. Verse 17. He's before all things. I love this. And in Him, all things hold together. <laughs> you, I mean, you can just talk forever about this. What holds the galaxies together? What holds space together? What holds at the subatomic level? What holds all those neutrons, protons, electrons together? At, at some point, scientists are baffled of exactly what is it that holds all that together. We as believers know that it is none other than the one who created it all, that at the same time, right now, at this moment, is holding all things together. Creator. God. So everlasting, eternal, holds all things together, has created all things, all things exist for Him, all glory to Him. That God, and here's the wonder of it all, chose to step into the limitations of time and space and take on flesh and become a man. And not just a man, a baby. And not just a baby, a baby in a horse trough in a little town on the backside of nowhere in Bethlehem. God with us. Arthur Pink is a theologian and he he writes about the incarnation. I'm just going to quote him here briefly. He says this, With the incarnation, God becoming man, the infinite became finite. The invisible became tangible. The transcendent became imminent. That which was far off drew nigh. That which was beyond reach of the human mind became that which could be seen in the realm of human life. The Word became flesh. He became what He was not previously. He did not cease to be God, but He became man. And the wonder of that. Now what I want to try to do for just a few minutes here is kind of get behind that and take what Scripture says that was in the heart and the mind and, if you will, the very attitude of Jesus Christ that He was willing, willing to lay aside the manifestation of being God, never laid aside being God, all God, all man, laid aside His glory temporarily, became a man. What in the world? What is the attitude that would cause one 
to do that. Let me ask you a question. I was thinking about this earlier. Have you, have you recently or maybe ever or maybe even within the last few days or maybe it's Christmas and family's in, have you been asked to do something recently and in your mind you did it and you went ahead and carried it, but in your mind you're thinking somebody else ought to be doing that. Or you would never say it, but you're thinking something like this, well, that's kind of beneath me. Why don't you go take out the trash? Or you walk into the kitchen, and the kitchen's full of dirty dishes, and you're thinking, that's not my job. Somebody else is. You know, that's kind of beneath me. In other words, has there been an, an instance recently where your attitude could have been one of, I'm, well, I'm not going to stoop to that. I'm not. There was an attitude of pride. So as we look at the, the, just the miraculous, marvelous attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ that was in his heart and in his mind that he would step out of heaven, if you will, take on flesh and all the limitations of it. I want you to flip ahead or actually back a couple books to the book of Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to walk through this passage for just a second. Then we're going to make some, I think, very helpful and challenging applications to your life and my life this morning. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3 or so in that general area, Paul again writing. As far as we know, this was somewhat of a hymn that was sung in the early church about the beauties and the glories of King Jesus i got to tell you, there's a lot of convicting and challenging passages in the Bible. Obviously, this is one of the most challenging passages in Scripture. It's one of the most glory-filled passages in the Scripture about the Lord Jesus. It's one of the most challenging passages for us in our attitude. God became a man. What was in the mind and the heart of the Lord Jesus behind that? Philippians 2, beginning in verse 3, says this. Paul says, do nothing from selfishness. Stop right there. I'm in trouble. So are you, right? Imagine a life, imagine a day, imagine anything that you do that's not tainted in some way with self and my gain or what I benefit or what I get out of it, right? So Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. He says, rather as the people of God, but with humility of mind. Hold on to that phrase. Humility of mind, the way we think, the way we see ourselves, the way we see God, the way we see others, is what Paul's getting at here in this passage. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Wow. I don't know about you parents, but would that be a game changer around your house? (laughs) That is awesome. Oh, don't you love family service? I mean, that's just... You know, you think that was a child, but I think that might have been an adult. I'm not sure. All right, I'm pulling myself together here. (laughs) With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. 
do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Think about that. In other words, we do nothing, imagine, and we can't even imagine this, in our glorified state we'll know this perfectly, that what we do is never tainted with self. It's never tainted with what I get out of it or what's in it for me. The attitude is totally, how, can, how does it glorify God? And the, the attitude is totally, how can I benefit you? How does it benefit you? How does it serve you? I'll just tell you, in my house, for me, that would be a game changer in my heart. He goes on. How in the world could this ever be reality? Verse 5. Here's where it's all coming together, I hope. Have this attitude in yourselves. Okay, it's an attitude. It's a mindset. It's a worldview. Have this attitude in yourselves. Okay, what attitude? Which was also in Christ Jesus. Ah, the very attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Who, verse 6, although he existed in the form of God, Okay, back to where we were. Remember John 1? Remember Colossians? Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. God, eternal God, unlimited God, limitless God, who existed for all eternity as God. Did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. What does that mean? Quickly, I'll just say it this way. He didn't play the God card. <laughs> He never ceased to be God, never laid aside all the attributes of being God. I mean, once you're God, you cannot be God. He's God forever. But he didn't play the God card. That's beneath me. <laughs> Take on flesh? Leave the glories of heaven? Step down into the mess? I know I created it, but it's a mess. God card. I'm God. Somebody else got it. Nope. You don't have a God card, but you got a self card. You play it a lot, and so do I. <laughs> nope, not going to do it. Not. He says, here's the attitude that changed the world. Though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 7, but emptied himself. Emptied himself. Literal translation there should be something more of the idea. It's not that he laid aside anything of being God at all. It's literally that he took on something that he was not before. He took on humanity and all the limitations of it and all the weaknesses of it. In other words, the king, the one who created everything, stepped into our mess, came and dwelt among us and took on flesh and all the weaknesses that went along with it. Not just became a man, he took on the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of mankind or of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death of a cross or a cross-type death. So what you see here is Paul helps us understand, okay, who was this one that became a baby and took on flesh and lived a life and died? Who was he before and what was the attitude of humility? What was the mindset? What was he thinking? What is the, what is the view of himself? What is the view of God, his Father? What is the view that would lead him to do this? Now, here's what I want to do. I'm going to try to answer two questions very quickly. 
So what are the outcomes of this? They're, they're immense. What are the outcomes of this for, for you practically, for us practically, for, for the redemptive plan of God? That, that the God-man, that Jesus would, would take on flesh, become the God-man? Let, let me give you a couple, come right out of the Christmas story. First one, I want you to take your Bible and I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. I want you to look at the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Maybe you wonder, okay, why was it necessary for Jesus to take on flesh? I mean, could, was there another way to go about it? I mean, it, what comes out of that? Verse 14, Hebrews chapter 2 says this. Therefore, since the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, we're human. He himself, Jesus, likewise also partook of the same. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help merely to the angels. He gives help to the descendants of Abraham, the children of faith. That's us. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God and make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's a lot. I understand. Jesus took on flesh because it was necessary for him to die in the flesh as a faithful sacrifice to atone for the sins of the world. We gain forgiveness, we gain redemption, we gain salvation. But then it says he is able to be a faithful high priest. You have one now, child of God, that you can go to in prayer, and that's the point of the book of Hebrews here. This section, draw near to the throne of God. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands our limitations. He took on that flesh. You have a faithful high priest who humbled himself. And I'll also say this. As a child of God, you can never say, that is too much beneath me to take on because nothing you will ever take on is a more humbling act than the humbling act of God becoming a man. We could never say, well, God's calling me to do something, some act of servanthood, some act of selflessness, some act, whatever it is. And you say, none of, none of it will ever exceed what Jesus has already done. Becoming a man. God with us, Emmanuel. Because I know some of the struggles we face coming out of the year, going into a new year. I don't know everyone's situation. I know many of the situations. I know some of my own situations. And we're tempted to think, I really can't believe this is my lot in life or this is the current situation I have. I wish it were something different. Maybe this is a little bit beneath me. We want to pull the self card and remind God of who we are. And then we have to be reminded, wait a minute, nothing I will ever do, nothing I'll ever be called to do will ever surpass the example and the reality and the model of Jesus, God himself, becoming a man. You'll never surpass that. Not even close. So a faithful high priest who has endured and suffered as you and I in the flesh, yet, yet him with no sin. Second outcome is this, quickly. 
outcome of Christ's humility. <clears throat> I think this is going to be really helpful. It's very helpful to me. Um, I think if, I, okay, I'll just talk about me. I think if we were to condense and summarize most of the things that we struggle with in our pursuit of Christ or in that way we deal with others or the way we look at the world or the way that we're either obedient or not obedient or the way we sacrifice or we don't sacrifice. Many of the struggles, maybe all of them, many of them, watch this, can all be traced back to ultimately this hideous reality in the hearts of all of us called pride. In other words, for me, if I look at some of the struggles I'm having right now, as I look at some things in the future, there's fear there, there's some steps of obedience that I'm wanting to take, and there's some reluctance, or there's fear, or there's some things that I'm regretting, or there's some things I get real anxious about. And at the, at the taproot of many of those, if we were real honest with ourselves... The Spirit of God takes Philippians 2 and reminds us, wait a minute, many of the issues I'm personally wrestling with in my own thinking, in my own attitude, in my own obedience, in what God's calling me to, in my pursuit of Christ, is I'm wrapped up with me. (laughs) And self is in there battling for the preeminence. And self is battling for the throne. And it can go back to the very taproot of this thing called pride. How in the world do we as believers, with the Spirit of Jesus living inside of us, battle pride? The way we battle pride is because Christ Himself dwells within us, and by the Spirit of God, He is growing us and giving us the very attitude of this. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard others as more important than yourselves. Here's the point. Because of the incarnation, because of the humility of Christ, because of who He is, He lives in you and me. You and I can battle pride in our own lives. And you and I have the capacity because of Jesus in us to recognize. Sometimes we've got to call it what it is. Don't call it something else. Call it the sin of pride. Some of the things you're wrestling with, some of the things that cause the attitude you have, some of the relationships, watch this, this is close to home, some of the relationships you're in right now that are strained and twisted and distorted, you say, why is this going on? Often it's because of nothing more than pride and selfishness. So let's honestly call it what it is in our lives. Spirit of God, reveal this. Confess it. Repent of it. God, help me to turn from it. And at the same time, by faith, by faith, understand that you now walk by the faith of the Son of God who loves you and has died and given himself for you. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the humility and the attitude of humility of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, by faith, I'm able to link into that by the power of the Spirit and to battle this thing in me called pride. It's encouraging. It's strengthening. Last passage. This is application and we're done. Flip on over. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up here. First Peter chapter 5. And I'm going to look at two verses.
1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 5, it gets really practical and application here. Josh, you can come on up. Paul, or Peter's writing here, and he says this. I'm in 1 Peter 5, verse 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you, all of you, Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. There was a question to be asked there, okay, God, I hear that. That's a commandment of Scripture by the power of the Spirit. I'm able to do this. What does it look like then for me to clothe myself in humility? Maybe get real practical and think this way. What, what is the relationship right now I'm involved in that's, that's, that's gone haywire, maybe, or it's squirrely? What would it look like if I clothed myself in humility and went back into that relationship? Or what about a position at work if I clothed myself with the humility of Christ? I didn't regard myself as more important. I regard others as more important. I have the humility of Christ. What step of obedience would I take as God calls and leads me? What's this. How bold would I be with my faith if I wasn't worried about what people might think about me? How sacrificial could I be if I realized it's not about me? I can, by the power of Christ, lay down my life and serve others with the humility of Christ. What does it look like to clothe ourselves in humility? 1 Peter 5. For God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's one of the greatest verses in all of Scripture. God is opposed to the proud. Listen, when we're doing things out of the attitude of pride, it is as if the, the, the word picture here is God, is God is stiff-arming us, in a sense, not just our pride, the proud, us. God, what is there in my life right now that is so tainted with pride, so tainted with self? Lord, by the picture and the glory and Jesus in me, God, let me replace that pride with clothing myself in humility. Now, last verse is this, and here's a promise. But, God, if I clothe myself in humility, if I take the low road, if I humble myself... What will happen to me that will, make my, that will make me vulnerable, that will make me exposed? What will happen if I lay something aside? What? Here's the promise. Therefore, humble your... This is glorious. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you I don't know if you caught the connection there but that is beautiful here's what it says when we choose to humble ourselves toward one another when we choose to humble ourselves toward the Lord when we choose to humble ourselves in opportunities and different things here's what you you as a child of God you are humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God and then it says He cares for you. God, if I take on this role of humility, God, if I take on this role, Lord, if I I lay this aside, God, if I step out in obedience, Lord, if I go to this relationship, whatever it may be, if I do this act of clothing myself in humility, God, I don't know what's going to happen. It makes me worried. It makes me fearful. That's why Peter says, watch, cast your anxiety on me. I got it. 
got it. I got it. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. I want you to bow your head for just a second. I'm going to ask you a couple questions and I'm I'm just simply going to trust the Spirit of God to do business with you right there in your seat, child of God. Based on what we've just heard, based on the commands of Scripture, I just want you to think about this and just ask the Spirit of God to do work in your heart this morning. Question one is this. Is there an area of my life right now that I'm in disobedience because of pride? Or maybe this one, what decision am I about to make that if I were real honest, it's rooted in pride? It's rooted in self. What attitude do I currently have toward others? Maybe even toward God? Maybe toward my future? Maybe my current situation? What attitude do I currently have that's nothing more than pride? What struggle am I, am I currently battling with in my life? Maybe fear, maybe anxiety, maybe fear of man. It's nothing more than pride. What relationship in my life is weak right now because of my own selfishness? Maybe even this, am I drifting? Maybe in 2016, I've slowly drifted even from my dependence upon the Lord, from my fervent, prayerful, Bible-saturated, community-loving, needing the body of Christ, dependence upon God. Maybe I've drifted from that. And you can call it a lot of things, but here's what it is. It's pride. Because somehow, some way, you think you don't need God. So I pray for just a moment or two here, like I did this morning, and like I've done as I prepared for this passage. I, I pray just to have a few minutes of repentance, a moment of confession. Spirit of God is showing some things in your own heart. Don't keep the attention on yourself too long. Move the attention back to the Son of God, who is the picture and the power and the strength to be a person of humility and selflessness. It's not you, it's Him. close with this little illustration and I'm going to pray for us and we're done speaking with somebody the other day and they were talking about a sculptor who's able to take a solid piece of rock and sculpt that solid piece of rock into a beautiful picture of a cowboy on a horse how in the world do you take a solid piece of rock and sculpt it into a perfect picture of a cowboy on a horse and the sculptor said simple I take my hammer and chisel and anything that doesn't look like a cowboy or a horse, I chip it away. Meaning, the Spirit of God is at work chipping away anything and everything in our life that doesn't look like Jesus. He is fervently committed to your sanctification, my sanctification, and our growth in Christ's likeness.
Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these truths. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the incarnation. I thank you for the spirit of God alive in us. Thank you for these dear people, Lord. Thank you for this church family. Lord, together we're pursuing this thing called Christ-likeness. God, I trust that you will work in our hearts this morning. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen. If you will, let me invite you to look up here for just a second. We're going to uh, enter into our time of uh, offering. Again, I know many of you gave last night as part of a Christmas give, and thank you for your generosity, but also opportunity for you to honor the Lord this morning as we give faithfully. So let me pray for this time and ushers, if you guys would go ahead and move into place and then we'll have our time of giving and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you again. I pray for this time of offering now. Lord, I know everything we have belongs to you. Everything we own is yours and every opportunity we have to give, Lord, is to say it's all yours. And God, we trust you. In obedience we give, in worship we give. Thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.